Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Wait, time out. Hey, Benny J Show listeners, I got some news for you. There is still time to cast your ballot for the 2023 Best of Chicago, presented by Lincoln Park Zoo. With over 300 categories to vote for, you can show love to your favorite small businesses, social media personalities, music venues, hairdressers, sports leagues, vintage shops, dive bars, and so much more, including reporters. You could say Greg Pratt is your favorite. Visit chicagoreader.com backslash best to submit your votes today. Ben Jarofsky show for this Thursday, January the 11th starts now. On today's show, Ben welcomes author and investigative reporter with the Chicago Tribune, Gregory Pratt. The Ben Jarofsky show is a presentation of the Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago. If you want to know what to do, where to go, what to eat, what to drink, you want to keep your finger on the pulse of politics in the city of Chicago, then you need to spend some time at ChicagoReader.com. Oh, yeah, and you can still vote for Best of Chicago. Get those votes in by the 14th, guys and gals. Oh, yeah, one more thing. Don't forget to find Ben Jarofsky online there, too, at ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Rom Ways in Thursday. And here's why. Yes, indeed. A Chicago Tribune reporter, Gregory Pratt, is standing by to bring him on. But before we do, I just got to get this one out of my system. I have to laugh. I have to. I don't know whether to laugh or cry, shake my head, moan or groan. My dear friend, Rahm Emanuel, say that in bit and just. Let's hope that gets out in the Twitter world. Ben is dear friends with Rahm Emanuel. I uh, was at it uh, yesterday for some reason. I don't know why. The man is ambassador to Japan. Now, personally, I don't believe he should never have been approved by the Senate as ambassador to Japan, as he still has that murder case from Chicago with Kwame McDonald hanging over his head. But somehow or other, uh, he convinced uh, President Biden to nominate him, and then he convinced over 50 senators to vote for him. Uh, and now he's ambassador to Japan, which I started. Everybody, when I was opining about that, said, Ben, don't worry, this is good for you. Now you'll never have to see him again. He's in Japan. He'll never be around. Well, guess what? This guy is in Chicago more than the Bears are. He's constantly popping up in Chicago, at which point everybody texts me. Okay, Greg Pratt doesn't text me this, but pretty much a lot of other people text me. This. Ben, did you see this thing from Rahm Emanuel? Ben, Rahm Emanuel said this. What's your thoughts? Big Dumpkey in particular is always constantly sending me Rahm Emanuel updates. And generally, I ignore them because, you know, they're they're not worthy in every instance. But yesterday, I got one. It was like midnight. And this one really caught my eye. Uh, this was the one where uh, he had come through town and given us a couple of interviews, one with uh, Marianne Ahern at Channel 5 and the other with Ben Bradley on channels. What is he on? Channel 7. And Ben Bradley put out the following tweet. Rahm Emanuel is back in Chicago briefly and covered a lot of ground. He supports a ceasefire in Gaza and says Israel has fallen short of international standards. He reflected on migrant crisis and police reform following Laquan McDonald's killing. And then there's a link to the interview. And I was like, he supports a ceasefire in Gaza and says Israel has fallen short of international standards. Ladies and gentlemen, put aside your personal opinion of whether there should be a ceasefire in Gaza. I personally strongly urge and pray that there is a ceasefire in Gaza and put aside your personal opinions as to whether Israel has fallen short of international standards. I personally believe they have like what's been happening in Gaza is outrageous for the last, I forget how long it's been ever since it began. Always have to point this out with something unbelievably outrageous, the attack of Israelis by Hamas. 
for Rom to say this, it's one thing for me, a lonely podcaster in his attic overlooking an alley. It's another thing for Rahm Emanuel, who is, again, an ambassador, a U.S. ambassador to Japan, nominated by Joe Biden, approved by the Senate. He's essentially, he's an employee of Joe Biden, and he is taking a position, if you believe Ben Bradley, that's to the left of the Biden administration. The Biden administration, as far as I know, is now declaring a support for a ceasefire. They've not said that Israel has violated international standards. I'm like, Rom is to the left of Biden? What has happened? And I'm thinking, you know, Rom's all about Rom. That's that's the first thing you should know about Rom. Any student of Rom has to realize this. Everything Rom does is about promoting Rom. Maybe it'd be interesting to see if Greg Pratt agrees with me on this point. But having studied the man in operation for a long time, I go, oh yeah. This is about helping Rom. That's number one. So I'm like, has Rahm Emanuel come to the conclusion that it's important to be on the left of Joe Biden on this issue? Is Rahm Emanuel ready to leave uh, the Biden administration? Is Rahm Emanuel trying to put pressure on Joe Biden to move uh, to the left on the issue, Israel, on the issue of Israel and Gaza? But no. Clarification. And the clarification came today in the form. But they always turn to Shia Kapos. That's what people go to uh, when they want to clarify something, even if she had nothing to do with it. So Shia, shout out to you. You you serve a very important role. <laughs> so uh, here's what Shia just tweeted. WGN deleted a tweet that mischaracterized Rahm Emanuel's uh, comments about uh, the Middle East. So I guess he he works for WGM. My humble humble apologies to absolutely everybody in television land. Uh, to be clear, he meaning Rom does not endorse a ceasefire. He supports the ceasefire that was working on October six. He told Playbook a distinction that is nobody understands. That's Biden gobbledygook as to what they're doing. So now we have a clarification. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I guess I should just calm down. Rahm Emanuel is not moving to the left of Joe Biden on this uh, issue. Or if he did, you know, now he realizes, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. I got to back away from this. Quick, call Shia. Get a clarification out. Uh, I would have liked to have listened to the interview, but the interview has been taken down. I don't know, WG, and I think you should leave the interview up. You know, just for like the historical record. I mean, okay, so everybody makes mistakes. The tweet is wrong, let's say. You know, it mischaracterized Rom's position. That's okay. We all make mistakes. Even Greg Pratt makes mistakes sometimes. Nobody's perfect. Uh, but the interview itself has some value. <laughs> Unless you're like me and you go, nah, anything Rom says is valueless because one more time, Chicago. The only objective. Rob Emanuel has when he delivers thoughts on any issue is how he could use whatever thoughts he's delivering to better himself. And by the way, I say this, I'm going to close and turn things over to Greg with this thought. I say this not in any hate. I envy Rob. I wish I had that ability. I wish I was that willful that where everything could be about promoting me you think I'd be some lonely podcaster in my attic overlooking an alley begging Greg Pratt to come on my show? No, I'd be a media superstar. Like, I don't know. Think of a media superstar. All right, without further ado, I'm going to bring the great Greg Pratt on, uh, Chicago Tribune reporter and um, author of quite a controversial story this week. Uh, so welcome back, Greg Pratt. I think it's disingenuous of you to tell your guests that you want the WGN interview online for the historical record when the real reason is because you just can't quit Rahm Emanuel. <laughs> You're just obsessed with listening to the man talk and you okay. just need to listen. All right. Uh, for the record, uh, in defense, that was just like that, that low blow uh, from young Greg Pratt. I will point out that I never once listened to his podcast. Do you know Rahm had a podcast? Are you aware of that? Greg, that Rob I, had a. I remember, and actually, Maya Dukmasova had a really tremendous article in the Reader where she foiled how many people actually listened to it, and 
you know, it'd be like Rob Emanuel and the Pope talking, and it would have 70 listeners, yeah. which is basically Rom himself refreshing it over and over. <laughs> no, Maya did a great story. Not only that, but she listened to the interview. She was one of the 70, or maybe she was the 70th, and Rom was the 69th, the other 69. But uh, she listened to it, and then she did a, uh, an analysis of of Rom's podcasting, and I, I just I, I remember having her on the show to talk about it and and thanking her because she did the job. She listened to it, so we wouldn't have to. Um. Well, go the, ahead. The uh the thing about um, despite razzing you about your fixation on on uh, the former mayor, um, <laughs> you know it, it it's interesting what he said. I mean, WGN should put the interview back up without the commentary and just let people hear it themselves. You know, and if they messed up, they messed up. He did a different interview with a different station, and he said something about. Oh, I support the ceasefire that was in place on October 6th. So you could see how somebody who's maybe not paying attention might hear that a certain way and, and be wrong about that. You know, he's clearly not saying he supports the ceasefire. You know, some of these comments seem to be that uh, that they haven't met international standards or whatever, you know, and that's interesting, but that's a far cry from from saying that they need a ceasefire, which uh, I would be shocked if Rahm Emanuel would say anything like that in in public. But it, it's really, uh, it's, you know, kind of the trouble you get yourself into when you come back to town and you're doing all these media interviews for what reason and how it advances the Biden administration's agenda in Japan or whatever. I'm not sure. It doesn't in any way, in my humble opinion advance the Biden administration's agenda in Japan. Absolutely. The only thing it advances, and feel free to vigorously disagree with me, Greg, is Rahm Emanuel's career. It's his way of letting everybody know in the city of Chicago that he still exists and that he will return. To, you know, to paraphrase Michael Jordan, I'm back. He will be back at some point. He, he may be gone, but it's just temporary. And even when he's gone, he's not gone. And that's well, it's like it's, it's like me and the Ben Jarofsky show. I come <laughs> on because I love you and your listeners, but also because I'm bored. I need something to do. Uh, so I'm coming on to uh, pick on you a little bit. Oh my god, <laughs> I'm bored. I got nothing better to do, Ben. That's the first time I've ever heard that. Uh, I'm bored. All right, I let's could be washing my beautiful hair, or I could be talking to Ben. <laughs> I know, or you could do the same them at the same time. I've had guests. Uh, including this one guest, he hasn't been on in a while, uh, who um, was driving from, I think, Chicago to Texas. And I guess he realized or remembered that he was supposed to be on my show. So he pulled over to the side of the road. And while he was on the side of the road, he conducted an interview with me. And that uh, guest uh, was uh, Jason Lee. So we're, that's a perfect transition in um, to your latest scoop. Uh, Greg Pratt had quite a... a Provocative story. I guess it ran Monday, I want to say. I've lost track of time, Greg. Front page story in the Chicago Tribune and pretty much every news junkie in City Hall has been talking about it. Uh, and you know how I notice, Greg, is that they send me <laughs> they send me the links and the tweets because they know I don't, I'm not on Twitter, which is a whole other story. Um so all right, why don't you uh wow. I'd love to hear your synopsis of the article that you wrote on Monday having to do with uh, Jason Lee, who's one of the leading advisors to Mayor Brandon Johnson uh, and the do not hire spat that he got with a couple of employees. Take it away, Gregory. Well, you know, it's a it's a uh, not to under or oversell it. It's a pretty standard plain Jane story about uh, some people filed a complaint about something at City Hall. So there were three workers in the social media team when Mayor Johnson took over. Mayor Johnson kept them for a while. Uh, they eventually got fired after they complained that they didn't like the way they were treated by Mayor Johnson staffers, not just Jason Lee, but Jason Lee was one of them. Uh, they had a story that, that uh, on day two, they were live streaming a funeral for a police officer when Jason Lee comes in yelling and cussing and saying, why haven't you posted pictures of the mayor from the NBA Combine draft last night? Yeah. And they said, well, because we're live streaming a funeral. And 
you know, they were they were upset with the way they were talked to. Uh, the two women who who's, who told their story. Uh, Jason's perspective is that he he didn't uh, he put out a statement. He said that he didn't talk about. He's got a different recollection, which of course, if their thing is that he was mean and rude, his thing would be that he was not mean and rude. Um, but that you know, so they they have a difference there, and then they stuck around till August, and they had some issues with the rest of the press team. Uh, they went to complain to HR. HR said, have a meeting with the chief of staff. The chief of staff said, this again is according to the women. Well, you know what? I know there's some things going on, but we're reorganizing. So you're fired. Please, uh, please give us your resignation and get out. Uh, the ladies and uh, their boss, a gentleman named Josue Ortiz said that they were told, all right, we're going to say it's a reorganization and, you know, no adverse effects couple weeks later they get a letter that says you're on the do not hire list and that's when they get really mad and that's that's uh that's um that's a really interesting uh piece of it that's that's uh much much clearer than other pieces where you know was jason lee rude to them was he mean to them was uh ronnie reese the press secretary mean to them as they allege that's a little bit of a he said she said but the 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 do not hire list um really takes people by surprise really offends a lot of people because of it's just the the do not hire list is for this guy was taking money this guy was driving a snowplow drunk and crashing into cars like he's imitating joe moreno or something he's uh you know there's a uh which which incidentally uh proco joe did have that incident in uh 2020 when he was pinballing in Lincoln Park. I digress. Uh, that's what the do not hire list is for. So there's there's a lot of people that have been saying that's retaliatory or that that's mean. Uh, the last piece about that is the Johnson administration says that they were insubordinate. There were times they couldn't reach them while they were supposed to be working. Um, and that there was a little controversy over, they got fired and then the Johnson administration felt that they were withholding passwords for social media accounts. And the ladies say, no, we had given them to you and you just couldn't find them. And when you called us, we gave them to you. It was no problem. So it's, it's a, it's a big mess, but the, uh, the part that a lot of people shake their heads at and scratch their heads at is the do not hire list. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, that's, uh, by the way, Jason Lee, if you're listening, I you know, probably are the doors always open. You're always welcome to come back to the show. Uh, it's been a while since you've been, uh, come to the show. So doors always open. All right. Uh, yeah, that's the part I shook my head at. I couldn't believe it because uh, I've been writing about do not lists and how they've been used by the Board of Education for years. Uh, I haven't done the story like this in a while, Greg, but back in the day when you were a young scholar uh, in Chicago public schools uh, during the Ram, Emanuel, no, the Daly administration, um, oh, my God, they were like – it was so vindictive. It, like a principal didn't like a teacher. I don't know, just make up some BS and then fire, put her on the do not hire list. And do not hire is no joke, ladies and gentlemen. It means exactly what it says. Do not hire. And uh, so, yeah, whatever uh, these two employees allegedly did does not fall anywhere close, in my humble opinion, to do not hire. Well, you're merely messing with a person's life, Greg. When you put them on a do not hire, you follow what I'm saying? They can't make a living for their family. Uh, and um, so it does, it did strike me as vindictive. Uh, I, I got my own issues about the, go ahead, your thoughts. Should also note that Jason's perspective is uh, he had nothing to do with them being on the do not hire list. And, uh, you know, Whose decision that was? I'm not sure. I mean, Ronnie wrote a memo justifying uh, what their issues were with them, uh, but but Jason Jason put out a statement talking about I, I had nothing to. That's not I didn't do that to these ladies. Well, I you know when I read the story, I'm just a different. Uh, I don't know. Like if I walked in on someone, I was mad. Let's say I was legitimately mad that they weren't tweeting out about Brandon Johnson being about the N NBA comp. Uh, what is it? The combine? What do they call it? Where the they combine come, draft. Combine, yeah. Where draft they come to Chicago? Combine. Yeah. By the way, nobody who's any good 
I should I should amend that. Wemby didn't come to the combine. If you're a top ten, just so you know this, ladies and gentlemen, tangent within a tangent. The, the, <laughs> the combine isn't really like the big thing it used to be. Anyway, but and if I was my boss came to me, he goes, Ben, you should be tweeting out about the uh, the combine. And I said, you have to understand, there's a funeral right now. My reaction would be. Oh my God, I humbly apologize. The funeral takes precedent over the combine. We can tweet out about the combine tomorrow. That would be my uh, response. I would think that would be the humane uh, and logical response that to have in that. Your thoughts? I think that's a perspective that certainly the the women of the uh, the woman in this the women in this position would have had and shared. Obviously, that's that's the way brand strategy goes, um, you know. So that's that's interesting, you know, and that's uh, um, that is a struggle that that organizations uh, have is is you know, um, you know, McDonald's does auto tweets, right? They have all sorts of uh, of things right now for probably the next week or two, probably for longer than that. Of like on this day. Ronald McDonald is going to wish you a happy Thanksgiving, baby, you know, uh, and that, that's get that tweets in the pipeline and they got to watch out though. You know, if there's a mass shooting on that day, yes. you know, maybe you, maybe you take down the scheduled tweet about grimace, you know, grimace, uh, nobody wants to see grimace probably most days, but you don't want to see grimace on, grimace on the day of national holiday. Yeah. By the way, are you like a hamburger guy or a grimace guy or which? No, I have no idea what you're talking about, actually. But I was just playing along, like, what the hell is grimace? I, <laughs> I'm grimace like, this is the big purple guy. Oh, the big purple guy. I got you. Uh, I I had an education today. I uh, had a bre- breakfast uh, with Pat Whalen, who's tomorrow's guest. Uh, we did a pre-show breakfast meeting. Anytime you want to do a pre-show breakfast meeting, the only thing is you have to come to my breakfast place, which I love. A uh, little shameless promotion, early morning delight, best breakfast in the city of Chicago. Uh, and he gave me um, an instruction about Twitter, Greg, which I had been absolutely clueless about before he showed me how it works. And uh, perhaps we'll get into that because you, you're not so much anymore, but you used to be quite a player at Twitter. Uh, we should probably uh, get into that. Uh, as soon as I said what I said about how I would respond, I realized how naive I am. Uh, and I'm not a boss. I've never been a boss. Uh, and so my response would not be to intimidate someone or make them feel afraid of me. I reflecting on, on things. I think that's how Lori Lightfoot would have reacted. In other words, I think that, uh, the alleged conduct of Jason Lee, which he denies, but the alleged conduct of him is how Lori Lightfoot would have handled it. And you just you wrote the Lori Lightfoot book. You covered Lori Lightfoot for four years, and and one of Lori Lightfoot's traits, like like it or not, was she was re- constantly reinforcing the notion that she was the boss in charge, and you were going to do it her way, and this is her way, and so the notion that an employee was not promoting the mayor the way the mayor wanted to be promoted, uh, at a time when the mayor wanted to be promoted, would have been treated as though uh, it was a mini insurrection. Do you agree with my char- uh, characterization? Uh, I think, I think uh, um, uh, the public record is rich on um, Mayor Lightfoot's management style, which is my way and the highway and, you know, beat people up. Uh, I'm not sure this particular instance. You know, Mayor Lightfoot, though, did... Um, probably abused the do not hire list uh, once uh, with Bill McCaffrey, who was a law department spokesman who they fired. They wanted to bring someone else. They fired him. They said that essentially that, you know, he was uh, talking crap about him was the, was the, was the gist of what they said. And that was a pretty BS move too. Um, And I don't, you know, I don't say that as a, it's not like I'm president of the Bill McCaffrey fan club. He's a perfectly fine guy and a spokesman, but I, you know, he wasn't stealing. He wasn't lying. He wasn't doing anything that bad. So the, uh, there's something interesting that um, you wonder about the culture at administrations and, you know, is, is there something about that building that, that turns the heat up on people? Probably again, Jason would say 
they're mischaracterizing him, and I want to be sensitive to that. But you know, the uh, uh, there are a lot of hot tempers at City Hall all the time about all sorts of stuff, and you know, some of that is the is the pressure cooker. You know, some of that is people are trying to get that done, and I, I don't. You know, it's an interesting discussion. You know, if uh, if Mayor Lightfoot used to get hot at people sometimes, if Mayor Daly, Mayor Emanuel, I'm sure Mayor Johnson gets hot at people. Uh, you have to be understanding to some extent that they're they're managing a variety of things. They're trying to make sure that some really important, difficult things get done. Uh, so I, I'm not I'm not a, you know I've I've um, for lack of a better term, beat up Lori Lightfoot a lot over her four years. And the reason is that um, she was all hammer and it became ineffective because you can't be all hammer. Uh, But, you know, people have to have the hammer in their toolbox too. Now I'm speaking more philosophically, but the, uh, sometimes you got to hammer somebody. Yeah. Should you hammer somebody uh, if they're tweeting out uh, a funeral as opposed to a photo op of the mayor at the combine, I think you have to be judicious and wise in your use of said hammer. Do you agree with me on that point? See, uh, I agree that you have to be judicious. I'm, I'm just trying to be diplomatic here. You know, I don't, I don't want to draw conclusions about what was, uh, what uh, was said and done. Uh, all right, fair enough. It's being fair. Now. Uh, uh, in your article, uh, there was a ref that I wish I had taken a picture of, and I didn't. So I'm doing this from the top of my head. It was a good riff. Uh, and you you were le- introducing your um, readers to Jason Lee. Not just Jason Lee as a character uh, in this particular episode where the woman said one thing and then he said another. But Jason Lee, as he's positioned... Uh, in the Johnson administration and the larger significance of Jason Lee. Uh, and uh, so why do I, and, and his nickname being quote unquote, Mayor Lee. Um, so why don't you uh, take the moment to uh, recreate uh, that riff about uh, Jason Lee and his significance in the Johnson administration? Well, we were, we were contextualizing uh, how Jason is perceived at city hall, which is, you know, he was, he's been close with Mayor Johnson for a long time. He's the senior advisor. He's part of what they call, they themselves call the core four, which is the the top four people in the administration. And by all accounts, he's very influential and powerful up there. And people, um, people talk about how Mayor Johnson is very hands-off. He certainly got a different management style than Mayor Lightfoot. You know, he's not writing essays about what he wants his department heads to do, which Mayor Lightfoot used to do. You know, I interviewed Mayor Johnson about that on uh, in August, I think, for the 100 day. And we, we posted the full transcript of it. And I was asking Mayor Johnson about his style. And uh, and I asked him about being hands off. And, and he didn't use those words, but he essentially said, yeah, you know, you hire good people and you let them do their thing. Uh, there is a perception by some that there's a vacuum there sometimes and that Jason fills a lot of that energy and Jason acts very forcefully and um, and is a very strong presence in that administration. So people call him Mayor Lee. Uh, J- uh, Jason takes uh, umbrage at this because he says, one, you know, Mayor Johnson is Mayor Johnson. There's only one mayor at City Hall and it's disrespectful to Mayor Johnson when people say that. Which, you know, fair enough. Uh, he's certainly entitled to uh, to rebut that. And we gave him the space to. And then, you know, Jason was like, well, you know, I don't have hiring powers. I don't have direct reports, uh, which is kind of selling himself short. I mean, he is, he is quite influential and powerful in that administration. Uh, I think the quote was, it was disrespectful to all the people who voted for uh, Mayor Brandon Johnson. I'm uh, doing this at the top of my head. Uh, all the people who voted for May, uh, Mayor Brandon Johnson to say to call him Mayor Lee, uh, and which I was like, it's so, so okay. I voted for uh, just for the record. Everybody knows this. I'm two for two in voting for Brandon Johnson. Twice I had an opportunity to vote for him, Greg, and each time I voted for him, I was not disrespected. When uh, by anybody who who just laughingly says Mayor Lee, okay, I'm just get that on the record. In fact, I do not know one Brandon Johnson supporter in the city of Chicago who is disrespected uh, by uh, calling him Mayor Lee. So 
no need to stand up for us, Jason Lee, uh, on that particular point. But I do think it is a little unfair to attribute so much significance to Jason Lee. I'm going to push back a little bit with you on um, something you wrote in the article. Uh, you were saying that there's uh, nobody like Jason Lee uh, from previous administrations. And you mentioned David Spielfogel um, uh, from uh, Rahm Emanuel's administration and, and my old friend Joanna Klonsky uh, from uh, Lori Lightfoot's administration. Uh, they were, they, those people were pretty out there. I mean, they, they, they had power. They used their power. I mean, your point is they never went on the record. I give Jason Lee credit for going on the record, Greg. I can't stand off the record stuff. Uh, and the way that people try to kind of like manipulate you by calling you up and saying, all right, off the record. And then you just poison somebody. You got what I mean? They just rip someone and you can't use it. But the poison has seeped into the brain, Greg. You get what I'm saying? I haven't had one conversation with Jason Lee uh, since April when he was on the show on the mic. So I'm not even sure he plays the same role that Spielfogel did or Joanna did or any of these characters did for other administrations. Your your response. Well, that's that's a fair perspective. And you and other readers are uh, entitled to it. Our job as a reporter is to convey how people feel about things in the in the city and what, what's happening and what people are saying. It's not necessarily you know, I did not invent Mayor Lee, you know, uh, that's not my invention, you know, I didn't. So uh, that's it. We, we put it in the story because that's how people feel. Uh, that's, that's, that's fairly legitimate. But the, uh, what you're saying about um, on the record versus off the record. And what, what's interesting about that is that the, the, you know, there are, uh, there are stories and interviews that Rahm Emanuel or Lori Lightfoot, especially in their first year and first term, would be the ones doing the interview and be the public face of that Mayor Johnson, that, that uh, Mayor Johnson is not doing these interviews for. And he's sending Jason Lee to do the interviews or he's sending someone, someone else. It's usually Jason. And that helps feed the perception from critics that, you know, that this guy has a lot of power. And so that's that's where that's coming from, you know. Um, well, his perspective is that doesn't mean that that uh, that the mayor Johnson's um, over delegating or something, and that that's entirely fair. But the the point is that because he is as out there as he is, and and especially in circumstances where previous mayors might have been the ones sharing more of their agenda, you know, I think it's a. Uh, um, Today, as we record, it's January 11th. I'm not sure Mayor Johnson has done a single press event this year so far, you know, and there's there's an interesting, you know, it's interesting strategically and from press. And, you know, when people um, when when people perceive a vacuum, they fill it, they fill it in different ways. And that's whether that's fair to them or not, you know, uh, is up to readers and citizens and people such as yourself to to think about and make sense of. And our job is to write about it and let people know what's going on, what are people saying, and give them a give them the various perspectives uh, to talk about it. But you know, Mayor Johnson doesn't have as vigorous a public presence as Lori Lightfoot had in her first yeah. couple years. You know, Lori started getting mad around year three and said, <laughs> "You know, screw yeah. you guys, I'm going home," Cartman style from from South Park. Yeah. Uh, but the uh, I know you've watched South Park, right? Yes, I have watched South Park. <laughs> so, um, so, so th th that all is different. There's there's a lot of interesting stuff, and the yeah. the the story itself is is um, a pretty straightforward. A complaint was filed. Here's what it says. Here's what the people being complained against say, and there you go. Yeah. Uh, but it has a lot of different conversation starters in it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's not as straightforward. Uh, I mean, yes, it's a straightforward story. You're right. You're correct. Uh, and ladies, I just make this clear. Uh, uh, Greg bends over backwards to allow uh, Jason Lee opportunity and Ronnie Reese. Shout out, Ronnie. I know you're listening. Uh, you, you at least listen to the part that gets tweeted out, Ronnie. Uh, and uh, anyway, uh to give them their uh, chance, their opportunity to respond. So it is very uh, fair and even-handed, in my humble opinion. But it's also uh, revealing about uh, how the Johnson administration works to a certain degree. Uh, and to your last point, it's one that Mick Dumkey makes pretty much every time he comes on the show, which is all the time, because he's my, one of my oldest friends. And that is uh, 
that Brandon Johnson has done a very uh, ineffective job at outreach. He's not making himself uh, present enough for, he's not living up even to the standards of Rom and um, Lori Lightfoot and Mayor Daly in terms of dealing with reporters. And as a result, yes, there's a vacuum. You're correct, uh, Greg, and it gets filled. Uh, and the right is constantly assailing him. When, when I say the right, I mean the Vallis right in Chicago. So uh, I'm hoping maybe this year will change. But if you, if what you say is true, it's January 11th, and he hasn't had one appearance, then it hasn't ch- changed very and, much. And I, I could be wrong about that. I don't think I am. Someone pointed it out to me yesterday. Obviously, I've uh, I still follow. I'm still a therapist for a lot of people uh, in city in the city of Chicago, you know, I'm like the most underpaid therapist in the city, you know, and, and the, the point, you know, it's not about, Oh, we want to reporters want to talk to mayor Johnson so they can feel cool. Uh, the benefit is you hear it from him. You, he gets to share his view more directly with the people of Chicago. We get to ask questions more directly. It's not about like a Neil Steinberg thing where he's talking about, Jay Doherty shouldn't go to prison because we had a stake together in 2004. <laughs> I don't know if you read that story. It was an absolute uh, piece of crap. And, you know, I, I feel strong enough about it that that's why I'm, uh, I'm bringing this up a, a little gem ski of a story here where uh, Steinberg had gone on a, uh, on a little rant in, in some column or something that he doesn't know any Lightfoot people by name he has no idea who works for her and Lori's doing such a bad job. And Kate LaFergie, the former comms director for Lori Lightfoot, posts a screenshot of Ben, uh, not Ben, Neil Steinberg, uh, sending her a direct message on Twitter saying, I think it would be beneficial if me and the mayor had a cigar together. And it's like, what the heck are you talking about? You know, like, like, uh, um, you know, it's like, uh, the point, the point, and I'm just using this to rip on yeah. uh, access journalism, which, which, which is wrong, you know, but when, when people are advocating for, we want to hear from the mayor more, it's not about access. Like let's go rub shoulders and feel like we're cool. Uh, it's about getting the message out. And I'm using that to contrast it with um, the silliness of your favorite writer at the Sun-Times. Uh, uh... Uh, wait, my favorite writer at the Sun Times. You mean Rick Tellender? Uh, you mean Ramana Hussein? Uh, just kidding. Um, Rick Tellender's a sports writer for all you. I, I, I like Neil Steinberg just fine. Uh, I, I just this particular thing really got on my nerves. So let's. Uh, yes, your your point is very well taken, uh, and you know this is the reality of being uh, a lowly journalist in the universe sometimes uh being graced by the presence of somebody who's cool is one of the few benefits you get out of it so you get one up it's like oh yeah i hung out with barack obama ever heard of him uh and so it's easy for a journalist who was given like a 10-minute interview with barack obama to think it's something he or she did that warranted that 10-minute interview as opposed to barack obama using them uh and Rahm Emanuel is absolutely gifted at this. So think about this, Greg. He came through town. I don't know how long he was in Chicago. He gave at least two interviews. All right. And then he gave an interview with Shia Kapos on the way out. Presumably he's going back to his day job uh, to clarify the interview that he gave with Ben Bradley, which they've taken down one more time. Put it back up. We're crying out loud. But your point's well taken. That's how journalists are used, right? Am I right on this one? They has how they manipulate you, Greg. Oh, Greg, you're brilliant. You're so insightful uh, in your last article. Can I just say that? Uh, you know, they, they talk you up a little bit and they use you. Yeah. So uh, maybe Jay Doherty uh, uh, did that to Neil Steinberg. Um, this uh, on my mind before we move on. Uh, I was having this conversation uh, today uh, with Patrick J. Whalen. Uh, and so I'm watching about Rom. This is the time when I thought that Rom was actually moved to the left of um, uh, Joe Biden. Now I've since learned that he hasn't moved to the left of Joe Biden, that the whole thing was a mistake, I guess. Uh, and I was thinking, if Lori Lightfoot, follow me where I'm going this one, Greg, 
if Lori Life were mayor right now and uh, the onslaught that is happening uh, in Gaza was happening and the political dynamic was playing out as it is and you had Rosanna Rodriguez in the city council uh, with a resolution uh, calling for a ceasefire, which does not have the votes to pass as I, as I speak, as I understand it. I think she's uh, at least too shy. Um, and Brandon Johnson has, I don't believe he's taken a position one way or the other on this. I think he's officially neutral on, on this. How do you think Lori Lightfoot would be handling this one? Um, the, uh, you know, I, I know that, um, I saved my hot takes on this show for Neil Steinberg, you know, but, uh, so, you know, uh, forgive me if I'm being a little, uh, uh, Bland. I'll run my answer through the blanderizer and say that um, I'm not sure. It's tough to predict. I do know that Mayor Lightfoot is a pretty center of the road politician. I I, I can't imagine. Um, I think that she would probably be trying to have them just stay out of it as much as possible. I know that she, you know, if she hears Rosanna's name, you know, she yeah. gets... Uh, uh, triggered, I think. And so um, the fact that Rosanna is supporting that would probably be some impetus for hostility to the idea. Uh, so if I was guessing, I would say um, uh, she would not want this resolution to pass. Uh, but that's just a guess. And, and yeah. you know, people, people surprise you. Uh, but, you know, who knows? I mean, that's, that's, uh, if I was six, five, uh would i be dunking on uh dunking in the nba or something you know i would like to if you were six five you would be at the nba combine uh and um uh the reason there's a, i have i asked that question in a lot of instances not just with Lori lightfoot but i really like when i struggle with uh how brandon johnson's responding to the quote-unquote migrant crisis which i don't even believe is a crisis and then i think how would uh, daily handle this and not just baby daily but daddy daily who was the daily before you were born and uh, how would Lori Lightfoot handle this how would you know my my great Harold Washington handle this you know I I, I struggle I think about this stuff Greg because there's no are no easy answers you know and, and I don't pretend that there is an easy answer for a politician trying to figure out what the right thing to do on any of these controversial issues I don't want to give that notion it's very easy for me as a podcaster to have an opinion you know, I'm not held accountable for it in a real way. Um, and so I, I just, I, I asked you that question and I had no answer in my mind. It was, that's, and it's the same thing with Howard Daly handle. Uh, I asked Peter Cunningham that question. How would Daly, because he worked for Daly, how would Daly handle this? And uh, it's interesting. Nobody, nobody knows because I guess you would only know if you're in the middle of it. All right, let's close with your thoughts on Twitter. I had a, like I said, I had a um, a tutorial on how Twitter works, uh, finally, only, uh, what, 20 years after it was created. And I see, and it was, I, sh I saw in real time, I'm smiling at myself and my own ignorance, Greg, uh, the notification system and how it works and how people, like, I'm always astounded, like, how does, how do they know what's happening so fast? You know, and, duh, bad, it's. They send it to you. You program it in such a way. It's a computer. It just sends you updates because they figured out what you want to hear. And then people respond. And then I saw some of the response. I saw this this Twitter debate between Marianne Ahern and Stacey Davis Gates that I thought was so childish. It made them both look bad. And just like, guys, stay off of Twitter. That's just my advice. Uh, but that's me, the old cranky man talking. Um, you're far younger than me. You use Twitter, not as much as you used to, but your thoughts on the role Twitter plays uh, in society today. Have you ever heard of crack? It's, it's, uh, it's like, uh, and I say this as, as, a, as a recovering user of uh, Twitter, what they now call X, not good X, like the party drug, but just X. And uh I'm not sure X is the good drug. You get my point. Um, uh, you know, I, I mean, I really uh, think Twitter, especially at its best, is a great place to get some information. It's a great place for people to engage with each other and put some stuff out. Uh, obviously, ever since Elon Musk brought it and, you know, started taking down guards and, 
you know, his whole thing is he wants to let the, uh, I'm not talking about politics. He wants to let the hyenas take over the pride land and, you know, eat everything, you know, like it's the Lion King. And, hey, let's let the hyenas take over, you know, hey, if you're a Nazi, that's freedom of speech. If you're if you're whatever. And you and I are both pretty serious First Amendment people and free, and free press people. You know, I don't believe in um, there is a right to be a public jackass and there's not but there's not a right to be a public yelling arson in a fire in a theater type of thing. And I think that the the platform has really struggled because he's he's sort of empowered and vocalized a lot of jackasses, right? A lot of uh, people lost their blue checks, which were there to confer authority. And now, um, you know, oftentimes, uh, if you've got a blue check mark, it, it probably, um, uh, it's not, it's not really a good thing anymore, you know? And so, um, so it's really unfortunate because it's, it was a special place for a while and it's still got some use, but there, there's just a lot of, uh, looking at the butthole of the internet going on on Twitter these days. And so, um, I still use it. I still look at it. I still, I, I try to come off it more. I try to, you know, I, I'm, I'm a long-term investigative guy now. And so I have other work that I'm doing. Uh, I'm still on it more than I should be, but the, uh, um, but it, it, it's a, it's a complicated place. It's really unfortunate that you have a guy uh, mismanaging it the way that yeah. he's been mismanaging it. Uh, yeah. Do you ever find yourself tempted to write a wisecrack, a snarky uh, line, and they go, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to pull back. And then you pull back? Of course. Um, I have uh, I have all sorts of things I could tweet, you know, and sometimes I have some fun and I try to, uh, um, uh, you know, but... I do have responsibility as a journalist to be professional and, you know, you can be professional and funny. Uh, but I, I don't, um, I don't say everything I would like to say. Um, and sometimes, uh, and I've tweeted some dumb stuff every once in a while. Uh, they may, they may shock you. Most of it is brilliant. Most of it is funny and clever and whatever. Uh, but I don't, um, I'm not a perfect user user of it, but absolutely. I put stuff in my drafts and I'm like, you know that that's got a little uh that's got a little bit too much shalula on it and let's let's uh let's yeah. blanderize it for the people uh your blanderize i you put one of your comments through the blander machine as you said it wasn't bad you know it was it, it, it wasn't bad i think maybe we should all employ the blander machine a little more as long as the blander machine doesn't change what you're saying and distort it into something you don't believe in then it's not the blander machine it's the propaganda machine uh, but you know, it's the, I don't I don't have anything against the Blander machine as a principle. Uh, it's probably not going to help my podcast much, but uh, I don't have anything against it as a principle. Yeah, uh, you, you're not allowed to use a Blanderizer because you're a columnist. I mean, you should be out here saying the f word, whatever. You know, just just live it know, up. Greg, I, I I really struggle with that. And if I could use my therapist, I don't like when I'm. It, it, if I'm at breakfast with my friends, uh, if I'm, I'm just talking and passionately while I'm walking down the street, which I do so often, the F-bomb will be flying. But something about when I get it, see the microphone, it's like, uh, I can't. I don't know. It's the old guy in me. You know what I mean? I can't. I hold back. It's... Um, well, I'm just I'm just teasing, but the uh, I don't think I've used the f bomb on your on your podcast. Although your opposition researchers might be able to go through I, and listen to yeah. all of our. Uh, you might have done it. I actually think you may have done it and apologized for it. Uh, and uh, it's all good. You know, Adolfo Mondragon, who broke the record. He was the old days when he had a studio. So I would have one guest sit at at the table, and, they, he, and that guest would leave, and the other guest would walk in and take the seat. This is the old days we had in studios, and Adolfo was literally walking in, and he hadn't even sat down yet. He dropped the f bomb. They go, "That's the record." The guy hasn't even sat down. Uh, all right. Uh, since we're talking Twitter, we're gonna close. No, we'll uh, we'll close with a promotion, but we'll close. Interesting little take, a hot take you had on Twitter, which caught me off guard. Somebody said it to me course i'm not on twitter um and it was this like like crying 
you sounded like me complaining about how all the calls go against the Bears, like that hideous non-call when the Green Bay Packers should have been charged with roughing the quarterback on Sunday, but the referees swallowed their whistle. You did this on behalf of Michigan, and I was caught off guard like, one, Greg Pratt cares about Michigan. Two, Greg Pratt follows college football. Three, Greg Pratt thinks the world is lined up against him. All three things caught me off guard. Uh, Take the deep dive on your Michigan tweet. Uh, Well, you know, the girlfriend is a Michigan law grad, so that makes me a Michigan uh, supporter. You know, they're a fun, fun team. Uh, The NCAA has been out to get them this year and they've been uh, messing with them and, and that's fine. You know, I'm not, I'm not a huge Jim Harbaugh fan, um, but, but the, uh, they were messing with them and then, you know, they wanted to get Alabama into the playoffs because one, they thought Alabama would whoop on Michigan. That's why they made them number four. And, and uh, uh, they brought them in because they wanted Alabama to win. They wanted to mess with Michigan. I thought Alabama was going to beat the crap out of uh, Michigan and they didn't. Uh, Michigan uh, really had an outstanding defense, but the, uh, I got a kick. I get a kick out of how big a kick you, you get out of that. I mean, I don't think I've ever told you this and this, this is going to, you're going to be like, we have to continue talking for a while because uh, my dirty secret, my my um, character flaw is I like the New England Patriots. And with Belichick out today, you know, it's it's kind of an interesting time. But the uh, but th- that's why I was supporting uh, Michigan is because I do think that that the committee wanted to mess with them in favor of Alabama. I actually agree with you. I actually. Th- First of all, just so you know, I'm Big Ten all the way, and I'm an old Big Ten. Not the Kevin Warren expanded Big Ten that's like 50,000 teams, and I don't even know who's in the Big Ten anymore. I'm talking about old school Big Ten. There were 10 of them, all right? And I'll leave, okay, Penn, they put Penn State in, I kind of. But so I'm always rooting for, if, if once you leave the, my number one team is Northwestern, as everybody knows. Uh, but uh, once Northwestern is eliminated, I'll root for whoever the Big Ten representative is in any tournament, any tournament. Uh, so, you know, that means if it's Ohio State, I root for Ohio State, uh, even though I cannot stand Ohio State. But, um, uh, yeah, I uh, uh, that really uh, caught me uh, off guard uh, with your tweet. But I, but upon hearing you, I agree with you 100%. I, I do believe uh, that... Uh, they were trying to promote Alabama. Uh, they felt that Obama, Alabama would be a bigger draw. Yes, absolutely. The, look, guys, this is not a meritocracy. The, just so you know this, th- there are thumbs on the scale. And they're human beings. I, I, I don't, I'm not being a conspiracy theorist here, Greg. This is just like what people think is in the best interest of their business. What will draw most viewers? What will make them more money? Uh, what will get them more hype? And they think Alabama trouncing Michigan would be a great thing. And they were caught off guard when Michigan beat them. I agree with you 100%. Uh, yeah, I mean, and you know, it's it's a subjective thing by which they choose who gets in and who doesn't get in. And, uh, you know, if, if Patrick Mahomes uh, – broke his leg on the last game of the season, the NFL doesn't come in and say, well, actually we're going to put another team into the, into the playoffs because uh, this team isn't good anymore. That's not how that works because it's a fixed thing. The college structure is designed to give them the flexibility so that if all the, uh, all the winning teams are podunk from their perspective, uh, they get to go with somebody sexier like Ohio state or, or, um, or Florida, or Georgia, or Alabama, whatever. Uh, so it's fixed. All right. Uh, so uh, before we get to promotion, uh, hot takes, you call them. All right. This is every person gets this. We'll expand this question. Should the Bulls trade Zach Levine? Should the Bears retain Justin Fields? Go. You know, I'm, I'm just uh, 
yes, they should trade Zach. And no, I don't think I believe in Justin Fields as the quarterback. But Justin has had a really bad organization here. Uh, and I just, I just, I see some flashes, but I don't, I'm not personally sold. On Justin Fields. Yeah. As, all right. Let me rephrase it. As a New England Patriot fan, let's just let that one sink in, ladies and gentlemen. Talk about front runners. As a New England Patriot fan, even though you're born and raised in Chicago, uh, are you afraid when Justin Field takes the field to oppose your beloved uh, Patriots? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. I think um, I think Justin, you know, the the number of quarterbacks that are actually really scary that you know are going to take over, uh, he's not on that list right now. There's probably just a couple of them on that list. There's like, there's Jalen Hurts, you know, there's, uh, there's Mahomes. Um, I wouldn't put... Uh, the guy in Buffalo, I wouldn't put him there. Josh Allen, Allen I, yeah. he's good. He's great. You know, yeah. I wouldn't put him there. Uh, it's a, it's a pretty small list of people. And, you know, sometimes uh, I'll razz my Bulls fan friends about like, um, okay, you like Zach Levine. Zach Levine is fine. You know, is he really a max contract? He must be the worst max, max <laughs> contract player in the league. I mean, give me a break. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I'm a, I'm literally a flag in the breeze with Zach Levine. About if you had asked me two weeks ago, trade him or not, I go get rid of him. Uh, but after last night's game, I'm like, I love you, Zach. So uh, very inconsistent on that subject. All right, oh, we'll close a little shameless promotion. Tell folks about your book, uh, and I've read two chapters from it, so I could tell you the two chapters I read are really good. I've not read, Greg's not shared with me the other chapters. Uh, that's where he puts all this stuff, negative stuff about me in them. Uh, and that's just a joke, Greg. Uh, and um, uh, so when will the book be out? And uh, yeah, let's promote your book. So my book about uh, the Lightfoot years at City Hall, the city is up for grabs, is available now for a purchase anywhere. It'll be out on April 2nd. Uh, if uh, if you're listening and you've enjoyed my coverage, you know, please pre-order, please uh, come see me for some events when it comes out. I'll be doing events. I'll be talking. I'll be uh, signing. I'll be doing whatever. I, I am surprised by how many people, you know, give me the feedback. They want me to sign their book. You know, I mean, I, I'm glad to do it. Um, but, you know, it, it's going to be uh, a worthwhile read about Chicago government politics and it's going to be an entertaining read. You know, I wanted to write a substantive book that's not boring. And I'll be back to talk about some of the non-boring stories, I promise you. Uh, but for now, you know, if you're if you're listening and you haven't pre-ordered yet, please do. Very good. Yes, indeed. And what I'll do for that interview, uh, I'll just circle a story. Kind of like what I did with... Uh, We'll, we'll dissect his story like I did when I opened with uh, dissecting the Jason Lee story. And uh, we'll take it from maybe we'll pick three because I don't know if we'll have time for more because it'd be a deep dive. Uh, but I urge everybody to, uh, based on the two chapters that I read, uh, to uh, if at the very least check the book out of the library when it comes out the library. Because if you care about Chicago politics and you want to have some sense of what went down for the last four years, uh, I think you'll find a lot of... Uh, enlightenment uh and what greg put together his book about lori like as, right. as an author I, I always encourage people to buy however the library is really a worthwhile thing too and you know let your let your local libraries know that you want to check it out because uh that helps a lot oh yeah come on hey authors out there it helps a lot if every library buys greg pratt's book greg pratt will be so rich you'll be able to pay for my breakfast at early morning delight okay uh, and, uh, but yeah, no libraries, 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 libraries. I love libraries. I'm heading over to the library today. Greg, I got three books waiting for me to pick up. I just got the notification. All right. Thank you very much, Greg, for agreeing to come on to my humble little podcast. All right. He's waving goodbye. That's great. Greg Pratt from the Chicago Tribune. Also want to thank producer Chris. He does an outstanding job and Greg and Lori Lightfoot are in total agreement with this. Hey, Chris, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Peace and love everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Ben Jarofsky Show. Don't forget to stop by chicagoreader.com, follow Ben Jarofsky on Instagram, at Benny J Show, and don't forget to like and subscribe and follow The Ben Jarofsky Show 
on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.